He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So my dear mother-in-law, Kathy, who I think some of you have met because she's worshipped here before on a Sunday, um, she weaves for a hobby. She's got a a loom in her bedroom. She belongs to a little local uh, guild of weavers, and uh, they apprentice under this master weaver. And in recent years, she's gotten really good. And she's made these amazing textiles, um, towels and scarves and wall hangs. Um, and they're really um, beautiful specimens of craftsmanship. So this is a dish towel that she made for us a couple of Christmases ago. Um, now, with machine-made fabrics, you don't even notice the weave, right? Because it's also micro, it's just done on a machine. It's not even a, really a presenting feature of a textile these days. With a handmade woven thing, you can see each individual yarn, and it, but yet it still makes like this unified whole, right, in the pattern. Um, and there's this feel of, uh, like you can kind of picture all the counting and the crafting, the, the hours and hours and weeks and weeks that went into every single one. Oh, sorry, Becky, there it is. Yeah. So yeah, so it's these beautiful textiles. Well-made garments take time, um, and there's a unity even as the individual strands can be seen. Um, I'm speaking, of course, of Jesus. At multiple levels. Um, Paul, in Galatians 3.27 tells us that Christ is put on, and dusasta is the Greek word. It's the word you use for clothing. Christ is likened to a garment. So that's the metaphor I want to run with for this whole sermon. Uh, Christ as a garment. He's a garment that was woven together carefully in his mother's womb, the Virgin Mary, for nine months. And then he was cut from the loom, as it were, uh, on Christmas Day. And he was woven together from different strands that make up a unified whole, right? His divinity, his nature as God, and taking on the nature of humankind as man. Different strands, right, which can be distinguished, we can recognize the two different natures in him, and yet it makes up a single fabric and a unified pattern. To go one step further, um, have you ever noticed when you're trying to read, I say trying because it's it's always kind of like this middle slog, I find, when you're trying to read through the Old Testament, especially the end of the <coughs> Pentateuch, have you ever noticed this repetition of how there's always this mention of the, th- the three colors of linen, the blue, the purple, and the scarlet for the priest's robes, for the tabernacle veil? It's this recurring theme. Um, and it struck me, because as, cause that's a clear biblical picture of weaving, and, and having kind of real weaving before my eyes, I can kind of picture like blue, purple, and scarlet. And I think, actually, that when we sort of seek to understand the symbolic meaning of the Old Testament, I think we have here a picture of how Jesus was woven together. Um, That his divine nature, woven together with his human nature, that the the blue represents his, uh, where it represents human flesh. And what's interesting is it struck me that in the iconographic tradition, which we have up here on the walls, in every icon you'll see Christ is always, his outer garment is blue. Blue for the human nature. And his undergarment is usually red or sometimes purple. Here he has both purple and red, showing that he is divinity, red, clothed in humanity. And look at Mary. Mary is human, blue, but clothed in sanctifying divinity. So it's the same colors but reverse. And all other saints in iconography can be covered in, can be covered in red, right? clothed with participation in the nature of God. So I realized, like, oh my gosh, like here it is, actually, 
for, it's just sitting right under our noses for centuries now. This colored uh, tradition from the Aaronic garments, red, blue, and purple. Now you might say, well, Jesus has two natures. Why are there three strands? And here I think that if blue is, is, is human flesh and red is div the divine nature, I think purple corresponds to a human soul, right? The part of us that most resembles God, that is, bears the mark of his image. Um, all beasts have flesh, but only humans can return with intellectual appreciation and faith and worship to God. And I think purple is a good color for that because it's kind of like blue, but it's a mixture of blue and red. It's what is divine-like in us. Just as in good weaving, the garments are unified whole, so the yarns can still be distinguished. And that's why it really struck me this week that when we say in the creed, we don't just say we believe in the Lord Jesus, we believe in one Lord Jesus. Right? Two natures perfectly united in one coherent person, born on Christmas Day of a human mother, woven like a beautiful garment. We know from the scriptures that God is perfectly righteous. And so Jesus is fully God, so he is perfectly righteous. So he's a righteous garment. And here's where we see the, the scriptures themselves coming together like a tapestry. Paul talks about putting on Christ, and Isaiah calls Christ a robe of righteousness. That's the kind of garment that he is, a robe of righteousness. A robe that covers us. And that, I love that figure of covering. It's a motif in the Old Testament. Right? The, the, the shame of nakedness. It, nakedness is a shame. Is, you know, think of Adam and Eve you know, fallen in the garden trying to cover themselves. Think of Noah. Um, we are covered so that we're no longer exposed and ashamed. What a picture of salvation. Right? We who are, um, uh, have reason for shame for our sins are covered with a robe of righteousness. There's also maybe a, a, a figure of sort of inadequate clothing, like dirty clothes. Our sins have um, soiled us, but we're covered with a robe of righteousness so that we're presentable chiefly before God and the presence of God, but also to each other. But then a robe also has a double effect. Not only does it cover what is uncovered within, uh, what was previously uncovered, and it also protects you from the elements, from the cold of the sins of others and Satan's wiles, the robe of righteousness. Not only covers our shame, but protects us. So this garment was, was um, woven 2,000 years ago, brought forth on Christmas Day. But when does it cover us individually? Well, that's where Paul also makes plain. He says we are justified, which means to be accounted righteous, to be covered with righteousness. We are justified by faith. Galatians 3.24 that the moment we come to God with real trusting faith, right, trusting that he can forgive us, that he will forgive us, and we, in that trust we ask him, God, have mercy on me, that moment of faith, in that moment he answers our prayer and covers us with the righteousness of his son, the merits that his son has dying and risen again for us. Covered with a robe of righteousness. In that moment then we are justified accounted righteous before him. Paul also says in Galatians, though, that when, as many as you as have been baptized have put on Christ. So it's one of those theological puzzles. How does this fit together? Right? We've got faith, justified by faith, but we put on Christ when we're baptized. Um, indeed, both are necessary to be 
brought into a justified state and to remain in a justified state. Faith and baptism. Now, traditionally, those can come in either order, whether you're baptized as a baby and then expected then to come into faith for yourself or whether you come to faith as an adult and are baptized. In either case, both are necessary. A picture to hold it together. Um, think of TJ Maxx. Um, hey, come on in. <laughs> come on in. In a small church, there's no sneaking in. I'm so sorry. <laughs> At least think of uh, TJ Maxx before coronavirus when the, change, when the changing rooms were, uh, in fact, accessible. Um, when you try on a garment in the changing room, it, it's really on you. It's covering you, right? It's on your body. But until you've actually bought that garment, it's not yours. I think that's sort of a picture, that when you are baptized, you are truly covered in the robe of righteousness. But until you come with your own lively faith and buy the garment, it doesn't belong to you. And in fact, if you were to wander around at TJ Maxx for hours and hours wearing one of their pieces of clothing, I'm pretty sure the manager would come and ask you to take it off. Catch the parallel there between the parable Jesus tells of how did you get in here to this wedding feast without the wedding garment? Take this man out of here, right? So it's crucial to actually, if in order to remain justified, to have a faith of your own. TJ Maxx holds the two truths together. <laughs> and being covered in the robe of righteousness um, brings with it certain privileges. And I was trying to think, how does that work? How does a covering, a clothing, have anything to do with the relationship? And I realized God gave us this wonderful picture in the Old Testament. Remember that Sunday school story about um, Jacob coming before his father Isaac and, and putting goat skin on his neck and on his hands so that Isaac would feel him and think it was Esau and he would get Esau's blessing because he was covered? That's a picture of how that works. When we're covered with the robe of righteousness, God the Father feels us and he feels Christ. And he, he blesses us as if we were Christ with all of the welcome and the love that the God the Father would bestow on his son because we're covered in his flesh. He is the goat that covered, or I mean typologically, he's the goat that covered Jacob's hands. He's our robe of righteousness through which we have adoption as sons. That's where Paul lands in Galatians, right? In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You are all sons of God through faith. And he ends, and if sons, then heirs. So it's like this marvelous domino of blessings and privileges. Like, okay, you've been justified. You've been accounted righteous. Even though you are wicked, we are wicked and would deserve hell. We've been saved from that punishment and accounted righteous. And that means we're also covered in him. We are treated as sons, just like him. And if you're a son, well, then you get the inheritance of a son, right? The bliss of everlasting life that Jesus already enjoys by his very nature is given to us by grace. God now encounters us and encounters his son because we're covered with him. Therefore, we can say with Isaiah, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Amen.